0: Hey, guys, welcome back to episode three of the Detroit Lions Fan Forum podcast. We're going to do what we promised. We're going to try to review the Detroit Lions drafts. All right, let's get right to it. Ronnie, what do you think of uh, the draft overall? I am
1: ready to start drinking Kool-Aid right now. I I love what they did here. They kind of stuck to a plan clearly. They wanted to build from the trenches, and that's exactly what they did. I'm not big on grading. I'll, we can talk about grading this maybe a year or two down the road, but it's hard to argue with what Brad Holmes and company did. I loved seeing them in the war room. I loved their reactions. It was great to see some excitement finally within the organization, you know, with the Mayhew and the Caldwells and the Patricias and the Quinns, they were robotic. These guys clearly love the game of football. They're having fun with it and they're just running straight forward. I really love the fact that this organization has a guy like Brad Holmes in charge, Dan Campbell as head coach and Chris Spielman kind of overseeing a little bit of everything. They remind me of some scary three headed monster that you would see in a Godzilla movie or Satan's dog with three heads or whatever it's called. These guys are a lot of fun to watch and I'm really, really excited to see what the future holds.
2: So overall, I'll touch more on just kind of the presentation this year. I thought the NFL did a great job, right? It was obviously awesome to see a handful of players there live, be able to get up on stage with Goodell and, and have some live interviews on the spot. Um, I thought the coverage was much better this year than it has been in, previous, in the previous couple. right? It was nice to see game tape on everybody, even though uh, we didn't have a Jelani Tavai type pick in the uh, second round where they were... People were lost a little bit and didn't know what the heck to do, but uh, overall, I thought the coverage was good. I really liked the interaction with the players, um, the emotions of guys. Like Quitty Pay, I think he stole the show on day one, um, just with his draft day interview talking about letting his mom retire. Really cool moments, and uh, overall, just got me really geared up for the off season to watch Hard Knocks to get ready for 17 regular season games this year. I really, really like what the Lions did. So, yeah, I think Ronnie really hit the nail on the head there, right? Lions wanted to build from the inside out, solidify the trenches. They showed that with their first three picks. Um, Awesome to see Campbell and Holmes in the draft room with the excitement and just overall really excited. 17 regular season games this year. I'm ready for hard knocks to start. Got my HBO Max subscription all queued up so we can watch some more in-depth, see some of these rookies really show off. And
3: it's uh, going to be a great 2020 football season. Good analysis, John. Bob, what do you think? Well, yeah, I had an awesome weekend this weekend. We, um, we got to watch the first round together, have a couple of drinks. Um, but I'm with Ron and John on this. You know, both of them said build from the trenches. It's something that we always talk about, but it's something the Lions never do. Um, usually we go for that big name or talent to make people excited instead of actually what we need. Um, it's different. It's a change for once. So hopefully it'll work out. Um, I love that Sewell fell to us something we can build on, something that we needed. And uh, you know, we're looking for a certain player and talent and I think that that's what they did within this whole draft, to bring in people that we need, uh that Campbell's going to love and uh will be able to mold into what we need here and build a mindset going forward for our team.
0: That was kind of my thought exactly too. Bob. My my biggest takeaway from this draft is that we have a clearer picture of what they are exactly trying to do. We knew that they wanted to change the culture. We had an idea based off of that introductory press conference from Campbell, what type of football players he was looking for. But my immediate takeaway from the top three rounds and then the, the round four pick of Barnes is that, that they added a 1,000 pounds. I think it was 988 pounds straight up the gut, And they uh, they painted a pretty clear picture of what kind of defense we're going to be playing, what kind of strength we might be seeing. Uh, but overall, I think he picked has value I think in hindsight and going back and doing some research a lot of the guys that I was unsure of were a lot higher up a lot of people's boards than mine and I think every pick has value I don't see one pick here that doesn't have a shot of making the team so with all of that being said let's get right into the actual Lions draft let's go pick by pick well we can just bounce it off each other take some turns going around talking about what we think about each pick so obviously let's start at the top Penny Sewell I think we might be able to make this pretty easy. Is there anyone here that isn't going to give it an A-plus?
2: I love it. Excited he fell. Right? I mean, he's an absolute beast that's going to anchor that line for years, whether he plays on the left side or the right side. With Taylor Decker there, we'll, we'll see what happens in camp. But uh, nobody can, can bash this grade. They took the best player on the board, and having a beast lineman like that is always a recipe for success in this
3: league. And what I love about him is that he's only, what, 20 years old? So he's not even up to his potential yet. The guy's a monster, you know? I think my whole neighborhood heard me when they made that pick.
1: I think the the thing that's interesting with the pick is, obviously, when we were doing our mocks and we were having some conversations a couple weeks back, it seems like we were all in somewhat agreement that the receiver was position was so weak on the roster that if Jamar Chase or Jalen Waddell's there, you take him. We never really envisioned Penny Sewell falling to us. I know Hitch brought it up. Where That could have been the case, but we all really thought he was going to go at five or six or even four. And we talked about Rashawn Slater as well, who we were high on him, and we'd be comfortable with him. More so because we thought it was a realistic option, and Penny Sewell was not a realistic option. But it is just wild to me that he was able to fall to us at seven. I can't believe some of these teams passed up on him, especially with the shape their offensive lines are currently in. I also thought it was interesting that there were a couple of rumors with Brad Holmes that he potentially tried to trade up to four to get Jamar Chase. And then I heard another rumor that he maybe even tried to trade up to four again to get Penny Sewell. So we're never going to know the full full truth behind that. But it's hard to not be in love with this with this pick, especially when the two top wide receivers we were all in agreement with were off the board. I agree.
2: It's, uh, I think we got to thank Cincinnati and we'll be thanking them for years, right? It's, I know they wanted to get Joe Burrow a weapon, but I think the number one rep weapon is keeping him upright and healthy on the field. And Sewell was a slam dunk to them. In my opinion, I didn't think there was any way they were going chase at five, even with the connection. Um, so thank you to the Bengals and their staff for letting an absolute stud fall to
1: us. Man, how cool is that though? To see those guys in the war room when Brad Holmes was calling them and he's He's pounding on the desk, and him and Campbell, Dan Campbell, are hugging. Like, it's hard not to get behind these guys, man. The excitement's there, the passion's there. And I think I called Hitch that night and I told him that scene where he's pounding on the desk, making that phone call. It just looked like that scene out of Moneyball where Brad Pitt's making trades, and absolutely Jonah Hill's in the background giving the fist bump. Like, it just screamed that that movie for me during that, during yeah, that time.
2: Much better than the Patricia eye roll when Bob Quinn was calling Hawkinson a couple of years ago. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, that's. Uh,
2: they were definitely on the same page and they got, they got a, they got a beast. I'm excited about it.
1: I also was wondering, do you think any of Penny Sewell's family members could be on the Lions offensive line in the future? <laughs> <laughs> there were some big boys in that room.
0: His dad is, uh, is, is quite the sizable guy too, man. It looks like he could play guard right next to him.
1: Oh, without a doubt. And it's, it's, it's kind of cool, too, that his dad was a, a football coach on the island where he was growing up in Samoa, I believe. And that's kind of where he learned some of the passion of the game. Yeah, The other thing I love about this pick is, you know, we talked a little bit about him before, but Terrell Crosby, who's on the roster right now, and he was also a tackle at Oregon, and there's some familiarity with Penne and, and Crosby and I just thought it was amazing when Penne called Crosby "Big Bro" in his press conference. And I think, as a 20-year-old kid, I mean, this—he's a kid. He looks like a, a big man, but he's a kid. He's 20 years old. I think that's really important for him to have some stability and, and a friend, and uh, uh, maybe even like an older brother figure on the roster that he can lean on. And they play the same position. I think it's just really cool that they could combine those two. And I don't—I think that was more. It was a plan, I feel like.
0: Yeah, that was kind of the, the resounding takeaway, too, is that they clearly had a plan. I, said, I think I said it at the top, but you get an idea of what they're trying to do, but they they knew what they were trying to do going in, and they didn't deviate. So that was really nice to see it. It's kind of hard to say, well, you know, he's such a true a GM for drafting Sewell. But as we were saying the other night, Ronnie, the previous regimes might not have made that pick. That was the obvious pick, but that doesn't mean that we don't that they don't deserve credit for making that choice. They made the obvious selection. They got a the corner stone to fill off of when there was some pretty flashy guys left on the foot. You know, to not come out of that with one of those achievers or one of the big corners, it was impressive that they they pulled the trigger and did the right thing. Yep.
2: I, I think that's the biggest takeaway to hitch. I think you bring up a perfect point is that last year, Devonte Smith is our pick right there, right? There's no doubt in my mind. He's a flashy athletic wide receiver position in need. He's the sexy pick, right? And I know a lot of fans probably would have been excited for fantasy football implications and things like that. But as a, a diehard Lions fan, you have to be happy that the, The GM and the head coach are on the same page, and they were in unison in almost every single pick they made. And you could see the reason behind it. They told a story through the whole draft and previous regimes. It just would have been a gong show, I feel like.
0: Let's move on to round two. I want to do something that we've never done with the pod before. I want to play somebody. I think a lot of people that are going to be listening to this probably know what's coming. But let's play Levi's first interview as a member of the Detroit Lions. I mean, I think it tells you all, I like fucking people up. I like to get off the line and just put my helmet or my hands
2: on offensive lineman and fuck up an offensive scheme pretty much. I like pushing them back two, three yards and just making them feel like shit.
0: All right. So after listening to that video, uh, that not suitable for work video, Bob, what do you think of the, the leap I pick?
3: I think, well, when we first took him, I was confused a little bit at the time. Um, but the more I look at it and the more I research about him, I actually don't mind it. I actually like it a lot. Um, there's a lot of tape out there on him and I feel if he wouldn't have opted out of last season, he would have probably been a first round pick this year. As soon as we drafted him, I jumped on though, to listen to that interview and boy, did that not disappoint, huh? I jumped right on my phone and started texting you guys. I'm like, you got to get on here. This guy's nuts. I think, um, He's what we want here is what Campbell's is looking for. Someone who's just going to put his nose down, play as hard as he can. Fuck shit up, basically, is what he said. Um, What concerns me about him, though, is um, everyone's saying that he has a tendency to disappear every so often. So he'll have a couple good plays and then he'll disappear for the rest of the game. He has a very high upside. I think the reason that they picked him is he's someone that we can develop into the player that we want here. Um, I do know in college, he's lined up all over the defensive line also, so they can put him anywhere. Uh, the majority of his snaps in college were at nose guard though, but I don't think that the lions are going to use him there. Uh, because McNeil, the guy we drafted in the third round was probably who's, who we're going to line up there. He's a bigger body, but I love that he can play anywhere. We can plug him in wherever we want to. We can take a couple years, maybe to develop him, play him here or there until he's ready to, to go full time. But yeah, overall, I love the, I love the pick. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do next year.
0: So John, what do you think of Levi?
3: So I definitely think attitude wise, right. You see that he
2: is a Dan Campbell type guy. He will get in there. He will bite kneecaps. He will do whatever it takes. Um, I agree with what Bob said, right. A lot of the negativity I've seen around him is that his stud plays are way too few and far between, right. There will be moments of brilliance and then there will be a series or two where he just struggled. Um, But hopefully, We've got some great coaching on the team. I'm I'm I think there's a high upside with him. I I do think they may have taken him a little bit early for my preference, right? There were three guys on the board that I was super excited about, right? Linebacker, we all talked about it via text. J-O-K was really high on my list. I felt he was still there. My man crush, Morig from TCU, the safety was still on the board at that point. I had really high hopes he would be the selection, or even Asante Samuel Jr. at corner, right? But they we'll talk about it later, but they did address corner need with a freak athlete. Um, So overall, I don't think it's a a bad pick by any means. I think he fits the mold from a defensive line standpoint. He's a Dan Campbell type guy, attitude wise, high energy. And he's obviously really excited to be in Detroit, which is always a a positive. So all in all, this would be my, if you were grading my lowest grade of the first four picks that we had, but I still think he's a, a high quality player with a really high ceiling.
0: I I agree with everything that you guys are saying and going back to what Bob was saying earlier, he might quote unquote disappear a little bit, but what I read and what I've seen on film is even when he's not right up the gut, getting in the backfield, making a big play, he's still disruptive. He plays with that attitude and that violence and that, that everyone kept talking about his third step. He's got that power move for anyone that's ever played football Sometimes it's very valuable to just make a pile, get in the way, wreak havoc. You don't always have to be making highlight real plays to be a productive tackle. Uh, I like the pick. It was a little bit of a head-scratcher for me right when they said his name. There are a lot of these guys throughout this draft. I had to Google and read a little bit about to to understand what they were doing. But after reading a little bit about him, after seeing how high he was on some boards, understanding that he was an opt-out, that could have affected his status a little bit. Uh, I really like the pick. I, I He wasn't my highest rated D-tackle on the board, but obviously the highest rated D-tackle on my board was gone. So I think that I, I had him at, like, number four, but there wasn't a big tier drop-off or a big talent drop-off there between who I had at four and who I had at one on my board. So I, I really do like the pick. Ronnie, what do you think?
1: Yeah, it, it's hard to disagree with the pick here. I do find it interesting, though, because, again, with the first pick or was pick number seven in the first round, the Lions went with a strength on their team. We all said the offensive line was a strength and they went offensive line. Then in the second round, we all said before that if there's a strength on defense, it's a defensive line. And they drafted another defensive tackle just to bolster the defensive line. Again, there were some other guys that I liked here. We talked about, you know, Jabril Cox as well. But you can't argue with bolstering up your front four. And it is a safe pick. I feel like, you know, Bob mentioned it, the guy at times can get lost at times. And sometimes he didn't maybe produce as much as they wanted him to produce. I think in his, his past two years, he had six and six and a half sacks each season. And you would hope that he would have maybe a few more sacks to his credit But the interesting thing about him is the way he plays the game. He's a very violent player. He's a very busy player. And I believe it's, they called it wreaking havoc on the offensive front. And as long as you're spreading the guard and and center and you're getting in the backfield and you're, you're blowing up blocks, you're chasing the quarterback all over the place. You're producing in my mind. And that's one of the reasons why I do like this pick. Bob also touched on, you know, he played a lot of nose tackle. He will not be a nose tackle in Detroit. I do believe, though, he's going to play at multiple defensive front positions. He can play all over, I believe. I actually think he reminds me of Michael Brockers. They're kind of the same body type in a way. He's a little bit thinner than Michael Brockers, but Brockers is the same way. I know they call him a D tackle, but he played... He played all over the defensive front in, in Los Angeles and in St. Louis. So I do think that this is a, a pick that he could develop into that Brockers. And I think that's why Holmes got him. This He, he has faith in him just as much. you know. That's why he brought Brockers over here. He has faith in him. He wants Levi to hopefully develop into a player like Michael Brockers because they think so highly of him. I also would like to say, back to the quote, I think it's really funny where you have Pene Sewell, In his quotes, he's saying very kind of poetically, I like to be violent. I like to cause violence. I want people to dislike me at the end of the day. And you have Levi that doesn't have the pressure of being a a top 10 overall pick, just saying, I like fucking people up. It's kind of, it's it's hard not to love that man.
0: The Brockers comparison is apt for two reasons. Physically, his style of play, his size reminds us of Brockers. But after seeing that that video can't you just see him being a team leader in years to come this is going to be a guy when you fill a locker room full of these quote-unquote violent football players this kid seems like somebody that's gargarius somebody that these guys are gonna to listen to once he gets a little further down the line uh, so that that comparison is twofold physically and personality
1: yeah we finally have an identity I feel like you know we're drafting players we're signing players that are like the coach. are like Dan Campbell. They're enthusiastic. They're they're ready to go, and it's it's great. It's great to see, and it's a it's a big change, which is what we needed
0: here. Just to keep things moving, um, let's move on to pick three. I was a little befuddled with the back to back pick of D tackles. Obviously, with our third pick, we took McNeil, another D tackle, different body style, different playing style. I think he's over three hundred pounds. Three. I think 320 okay bigger than I thought and again doing a little research after the pick it it makes more sense to me it's very clear like we said at the top that they know what they want to do they got strong up the middle and in analysis after the pick it dawned on me that if you can't make your secondary better they adopted the strategy of getting strong up the middle wreaking havoc in the backfield all of that is going to trickle down and make the work that you're asking your secondary to do a lot easier. So I think that this was drafting to support that secondary because we weren't necessarily able to draft to replace that secondary. So this pick I like a lot and further analysis it makes sense to me. What do you think, Ronnie?
1: Yeah, it's hard to argue with this pick again. Uh, We touched on it last episode. We said this, you know, the Lions aren't going to be, a playoff contender based off of this draft class. This draft class is all about adding talent, adding bodies wherever you can. And they believe that McNeil was the best player on the board available to them. So why not take him? And it's, it, you can't argue that. you know he, he was the best player on the board at this point. And again, you're bolstering your defensive front. You're building from the trenches. Again, he's a big nose tackle. He's, like John said, he's 6'2". 320 pounds and you need two big boys on your defensive line. They have Penasini. They cut Chris Shelton and they added just McNeil now. So you have Penasini and McNeil probably rotating in and out to be that nose tackle in certain situations. And like you said, Hitch, he's not your traditional nose tackle. He's not a guy that's just going to loaf around and stay in one spot, eat up space. This guy can add pressure to the quarterback. He's had sacks in college. He can run around. The great stat about him was in high school, he played running back. And he played linebacker. And he was an outfielder in baseball. This guy's got some twinkle toes. He can move. He can run. And he's powerful. It's hard not to like this pick.
3: Yeah. I just want to add to what Ronnie said, too. If you look at his uh, PFF rating, he was... Uh, graded the second highest of all interior defensive linemen in the entire draft. And he, he was number one as a top-ranked run defensive grade. I mean, you just look at the guy, and who wouldn't love 6'2", 320 pounds, nose tackle, who's 20 years old, and excels against the run. That's like a dream for any team. And and I was looking, too, in a lot of mock drafts and a lot of grades, he was ranked higher than Levi. In some of them. So for him to drop down and for us to take Levi in the second round and still get McNeil in the third, I think is a steal. I mean, it is a little bit confusing why we went back to back. And I think that's like the talk of every Lions fan right now. It was their only you know, concern with our draft was why would we go back to back? But it is a position of need. You know, we're plugging holes with young guys. You know, that hopefully can come in right away and help out. But this is all about building for a couple years from now, you know, down the road and getting these young guys in there is only going to help us down the road.
2: It's I agree across the board, right? Bob just brought it up. It was he's the second rated D tackle on pro football focus behind Barmore. Um, I'm honestly surprised. I expected if they were going D tackle to hear this name in the second round, not the third round. Um, The guy is an absolute monster coming out of high school. Ronnie hit on it, right? He's a multi-sport athlete. Everybody expected his crystal ball projections were all Alabama. He had offers from every big school in the country. He went to NC State to stay closer to his mom. Family guy, so he seems like he's a good character kid as well. And had the, Bob said it, right? Highest run defensive grade in the entire draft at a 93 almost. The guy is an absolute monster that is going to plug holes for years can't argue with it at all right the back-to-back D tackles is the only valid argument I've heard but again we see as you get further in the draft that they address additional needs that could have been filled here with guys that are more athletic than were available and had those high second third round grades so I think this is a great pick by the Lions I'm excited to see what this kid will do
0: in an interest of time let's just keep moving what do we think about the second third round pick Malafonu big corner. Uh, John, I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about this.
2: So this kid would, off the charts, athletic ability. It's absolutely insane when you look at his, I mean, not just his 40 time, right? His, His leaping ability, his quickness off the ball it's there are some some concerns right he wasn't great in press coverage he didn't have a ton I think he only had 183 press coverage snaps in college little concerning when you're going to be a number one or number two corner in the NFL but the positivity that the upside in the ceiling I've said it multiple times about a few of these picks is through the roof with this guy and he was ranked as high on some people's board as the fifth corner Um, He had a second or third round grade across the board, no matter what website you utilize um, strictly based on his athletic ability. And we've got guys now on this coaching staff, like Aaron Glenn, former NFL players that are finally going to be able to groom these guys that are high upside guys that may have busted with previous coaching staffs in Detroit that I don't see that happening. I think he's going to be a great asset to go alongside Okuda to play on the opposite of him. And uh, right. he, He may struggle in, in his rookie year. Right. But it's corner is the toughest position to accommodate or to acclimate yourself in the NFL. Very difficult, but I think this kid is going to be a, a fun player to watch for several years here in Detroit. So very excited about it. I think it was an absolute steal
0: at where they got him. The thing that jumped off the page for me was his size. You don't see a 6'3 corner very often. And when they're saying that potentially he's not the most athletic guy, I think he ran a 4440 He He's huge. He's a beast. He, what's his weight? I don't know, 208, I think. I think he's uh, 205. 205. So his vert was over 40 inches. So when you're looking at a, a six foot three, 205-pound guy that runs a 4'440 four, four, with a 40 plus inch vert, that to me says that he's pretty athletic. I know that the game tape might look a little different. It might not trend the athleticism might not translate all the time, but we keep going back to the fact that we have a good coaching staff now. This is going to be things that uh, that the next level coaching staff can kind of coach out of them or coach into them, however you want to look at that. And being 6'3", you know, some of the elite foreigners in the league are 5'10", 5'11". Being 6'3", feel like he's going to be able to make up for a lot of mistakes if, if need be. When you can use your 4'4 speed to catch up, get yourself back into position, and then out-jump somebody and be physical with somebody, the pick makes a lot of sense. Ronnie and I were talking the other night about just being able to match him up and shadow certain receivers in our division. 6'3", good at the line, good with his hands, can recover with his size. Ronnie, what do you think?
1: Yeah, you know, I like the pick. John kind of touched on it. You know, he was a second or third round grade across the board. I kind of had him as a second round grade, a late second round grade. And the fact that he was here in the third was excellent. You know, he's got great size, like you've all touched down six three. I actually have him listed at two fifteen. I'm sure there were some weight differences here and there uh, based on when he was in school and then after he was building up for the NFL or for the count or for Pro Day. But it's hard to argue with this pick. You know, John. Again, he touched on it as well, where he's got the size to be a press corner, but. It's a little concerning when he hasn't had that many snaps at that level. And at times they even said he could be, I don't want to say lazy, but maybe he wasn't the best press corner available with his size. But hey, if you got the size with this coaching staff, they can teach you to be mean. So why not? They can teach you to be physical. So why not? Let's take a chance on this kid and see what he has. You know, he was he was the all ACC team in 2020, which is great to hear. He excelled at the senior bowl. He had three tackles and I think two pass breakups. Again, I don't know how he fell to the third round or this late in the third round after having such a good senior bowl as well. He only had about three, I think three interceptions in his career at Syracuse, which I mean, interceptions isn't everything. And I'm sure a lot of these teams were avoiding him because he was their number one corner while he was there. But also, he had 23 pass breakups, I believe, in his career at Syracuse, which which isn't too shabby at being a full-time starter. So, I believe he will eventually, or hopefully, be the starting corner opposite of Okuda. You know, don't forget, we still have Amani. Afatu, he cannot play in the slot, in my opinion. The only time he would ever be able to maybe move into the slot is if he can possibly cover a guy like a Travis Kelsey or a George Kittle, he has the size to cover those kind of more athletic tight ends. You can put him in them instead of maybe a linebacker. That's going to be lacking in coverage. In my opinion, the other great thing about a is he can play safety possibly. And I think that's the big thing here is with drafting him here at this position is maybe if he doesn't work out at corner, he's got the size to play safety. I think it's very important in today's NFL to have three corners or, or three safeties on the roster that can all play football. So Let's just hope this works out for us.
2: It was my favorite quote before Bob jumps in here was one GM. There's only two players in the draft that were quoted as being unicorns. And this is one of them. We had a GM that said Malafanu has unicorn physical ability. He just has to be coached to be more domineering, which is crazy to hear, right? So it's to have somebody with that athletic ability fall to you in this position, slam dunk pick.
3: Yeah. And I think, you know, John and Ron pretty much touched on almost everything I wanted to say. Um, what I'm seeing basically is what John just said. I'm like, I'm seeing quotes like insane explosion. He has, you know, decent ball skills, but he's a super rare talent and he can play inside and outside. Um, <clears throat> I saw him, you know, graded as high as a second round talent in some, some drafts. So for me, this is a steal. I love the pick, but I also look at this a little differently than you guys. I'm what I, from what I'm seeing is his downside isn't his speed. Obviously it's a problem in his hips. So I think it's something that can be fixed. You know, he's young, gets in the camp, he can fix it. Um, but I don't think he's going to come in and be in starter. Like most people do right away. I think he needs a little bit of time to develop. And with us already having a couple of young corners, I think that he takes the time to develop, play some snap, and maybe a year or two down the road, he can be a starter. Corner's a hard position, you know. If you look at a lot of the great corners that are out there, it usually takes him a couple of years to develop. But with the skill set that's rare is what they're saying, I think this is a steal. And I can't wait to see him play.
0: Talking about the development time of the corner, I look back after drafting Akuda at the end of last year and a lot of the rookie guys the potential pro bowl rookie corners they were uh late first round guys they were third and fourth round guys so i don't see Manafami being able to come in and potentially be that rookie pro bowler for us but we keep going back and using words like coachable i think you're right bob he's not he's not very loose in the hips and might be a learning period to get him to make that quick turn and, and to be able to run with some of these elite guys. But just to summarize, I didn't think you'd be there for us. Yeah, I'm going to our praises from around the league. I'm not used to this as a Lions fan. I'm not used to a, a later third round pick being hailed as this unicorn athlete, this guy with tremendous size and coachability. I'm just not used to this. It's a good feeling. So let's move on to number four from what I can gather from the Detroit Lions fan forum on Facebook. This is a popular pick with the fans. Absolutely.
2: It's I think he was graded as high as a third round wide receiver. Everybody consensus across the board had him in the top 10. I think he's an elite pass catcher. I think the issue is right. He doesn't have that burner speed. Um, He's again, we, I talked about it when we went through and we're talking about McNeil, but you're looking at a five-star wide receiver that had official visits and offers from Michigan, Notre Dame, Alabama. So, I mean, this kid was high profile coming out. He comes from a family full of amazing athletes and doesn't drop the ball much. He's got sure hands. He can run every route in the book. Um, I don't see him as a future number one wide on this team, but I think he's a very good number two or has potential to be a very good number two. And the thing I like about him a lot is that he played 100 steps or more at the X, Y, as well as the slot. So the kid can line up across the field and the route trees are are there for him. So regardless of if you need a guy to make those quick hitters off the line or run that deep out and in, whatever it may be, I think he's going to be beneficial. And again, with the offensive coaching staff we've got, be nice to see him maybe pick up a little bit of speed here during training camp and, and work out to get a little bit quicker. He's never going to be a burner, but he's going to be a quality NFL receiver, I think.
1: I didn't watch a lot of USC, so I'm not going to pretend that I watched a lot of St. Brown here. Watching some of his some of his uh, highlights and seeing some what some of the the professionals had to say about him, you know, it's a position of need, right? We talked about it, you know, for the past two episodes. We need a wide receiver. I know a lot of the fans are are a little disappointed, probably, that we waited this long to take a wide receiver. But again, this draft is not going to make us a playoff team. So let's just start filling out the roster. Let's start getting guys that Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell and Chris Spielman want, and let's go from there. I agree with John. I I don't see this guy as a starter day one. They're probably going to try him out in the slot right away. Again, he's not a burner, but he can run routes. Let's give him a chance. Let's see what he has. It will be interesting to see how he fits on this team with the wide receivers that we already have. He's kind of, to me at least, he's a little similar to Cephas. So it will be interesting to see him and Cephas kind of maybe battling it out in a camp. But, you know, I also think, you know, John said his family is very talented. I think he's got a brother in the NFL, too, or he had a brother that was drafted in the NFL, to my knowledge. Which, you know, we all know bloodlines in the NFL, it's a big thing.
0: Bloodlines were mentioned throughout the draft coverage. It was amazing. Even some of the off-the-radar... Guys that we weren't talking about last week, they all had these these ties to fathers, brothers, uncles that were successful in the NFL. And, and Ronnie just said a bloodline makes a difference. Look at some of these big football families that that uh, would have dominated the league for decades. The Matthews, the, the, the Reeses,
3: the Mannings. Bob, what do you have to add? For me, this is this was probably my least favorite pick. I mean, obviously, we need a receiver. I mean, everything I'm seeing about him says hands, 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 which means he can catch the ball. I think that he'll benefit from the depleted receiver room. I don't know how much he'll play. We'll see. But, I mean, I don't see why he wouldn't with what we have here right now. But for me, it was at this point, I know we needed to go a receiver because we have no one. But I think that what we picked up with, you know, free agents – we got a couple better receivers coming in that we didn't draft. So to be honest, this is for me, like this was my lowest grade pick. I think the, the funny, the
2: comparison that I'm making here is Cooper cup, right? You look at where he was drafted by Brad Holmes, right? The fact that cup ran a four, six 40 out of college, he was not fast. He had good hands. What well, Holmes saw is separation that he created by his elite route running. And I think he sees that same type of talent this is where I have faith in Holmes because he's identified so many quality late round picks. And I see comparisons. I read an article last night about comparing St. Brown to Cooper cup and why Holmes probably liked him so much. He hasn't come out and said it yet, but very similar comparisons in college.
1: It's funny that you say that John because I believe in Brad Holmes's press conference. He said the same thing. He compared St. Brown to Cooper cup And I was actually seeing a lot of comparisons to Robert Woods, which is pretty funny because he's being compared to two receivers that Brad Holmes helped drafting and two receivers on, obviously on the, on the LA Rams. So hell, if he can turn into a Cooper cup, if he can turn into a Robert Woods and you get him in the fourth round, that's a hell of a steal. So let's just keep our fingers crossed and see what happens.
0: I think the reason that I like this pick, we were approaching the point where any wide receiver that we drafted after him wasn't necessarily going to be an upgrade. It was going to be more of the same. And I think we we can agree to disagree a little bit, but I do I do view him as a little bit of an upgrade from what we were going to potentially plug in at number three or number four. You know, we still have Allison, but he opted out. If you want to say that he's a starting wide receiver, you can say that, but he yeah, had Aaron Rodgers thrown to him for a few years. That, that upgrades your status. That pads your stats a little. Again, I just feel like, if you're going to take a wide receiver in this draft, at that point, he was the only one left that represented an upgrade, even if it's like, so let's move on. This pick I feel could be controversial. I feel like people that are maybe a little more fairweather fans or don't see what type of defense we're trying to put together. They might not understand this. They might not appreciate this. I also think it's going to be hard for people to look past who was still on the board when we made that pick of Derek Barnes, inside linebacker. I hope that this isn't a scenario where we compare Barnes to Cox for the next five or 10 years and think, man, we could have drafted Cox. I think it makes sense for us. We said it already, but it it plugs right into this bigger, heavier, run-stopping, havoc-wreaking aggressive style defense that I think we're going to see run. And I think this pick, Derek Barnes, when you look at him with this class of Levi and McNeil, Derek Barnes is a little more versatile than I think people are given credit for. We have to remember that up until his last season, he was playing down. He was playing on the line. I don't know how often we're going to see that, but it just gives each package a little more flexibility. If you come out with uh, a 3-4 and something happens, they're trying to trick you out of somebody audibles, he can put his hand down and generate pressure. He can put his hand down and not be ignored. I like this pick a lot. And I don't want to sound like I just love this whole draft, but I, I like this pick a lot. I think it makes a lot of sense. I know Ronnie wants to talk about who he's going to compare him to from lions of the past. Uh, so, Ronnie, why don't you... Why don't you take us over here and tell us what you think of Barnes?
1: Yeah. You know, I, I like Derek Barnes I watched a lot of them at Purdue. You know, I, it is kind of weird to me that they traded up to get him at this pick in the fourth round. I thought Derek was more of a, maybe a fifth or a sixth round grade for me personally, but you can't, it's hard to argue when they were very aggressive in trading up to get him. This was the guy they wanted. They targeted him. They wanted him. So, let's just see what he can do with the team. Hitch, you mentioned it. He played defensive end. He was playing on the edge at Purdue for two years prior to this season as a starter. And in 2019, he was honorable mention on the edge in the Big Ten. They moved him to inside linebacker. They moved him to linebacker. And in one year at playing linebacker, he made the second team all Big Ten team, which that's not that bad. The guy is more of a throwback player. He's a thick guy. He's six foot, 240 pounds. Again, like you said, he's he's adding to what they want to do. Stop the run, beef up the middle, make teams not want to run against you. The whole Jabril Cox thing, I don't think we can compare Jabril Cox to Derek Barnes going into the future. They're two totally different players. and Jabril Cox obviously just didn't fit the mold of what Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell envisioned for this defense. And I guess Aaron Glenn for that matter too, but I think this guy could have potential to develop into a solid linebacker for the team. I don't think we're going to see that right away, but with proper development, he could be a great contributor. He reminds me a lot of Steven Tulloch. Stephen Tulloch was a very underrated linebacker in the Schwartz era in Detroit very stout linebacker. I think Stephen Tulloch was 5'11", 245. Derek Browns are 6'2", 240, 238, whatever you want to say. Solid run defender. There's going to be a liability in pass coverage. We all know that. He played defensive end for two years prior. He can learn that, hopefully. But he's probably just going to be your early down, run-stopping linebacker, and there's nothing wrong with that. And back to my Stephen Tulloch comparison, the interesting thing is, Derek Barnes obviously was drafted in the fourth round at pick 113. Steven Tullock was drafted in the fourth round at pick 116. How
0: do you like that? Bob, what do you think about Barnes?
3: I like the pick here. Um, I don't know about trading up to get him. They must have known something we didn't. Um, but I think with him being kind of a hybrid player, I don't even think we really know where they're gonna put him yet. Um, I'm seeing comparisons to Chris Spielman, you know, which we would love. He's one of my favorite players. But I'm also seeing comparisons to uh, Jared Davis, which is one of my least favorite players in Lions history. Um, They do say that he's a better tackler than Davis, which is something Davis couldn't do. Um, The only one downside I see for Barnes is that he struggles in the passing game. But if we don't have to use him there, if we can use him just to stop the run on early downs, I think that he could come in here and be a real good pick for us.
0: John, you have anything to
2: add? No, I agree. It's—I mean, I was definitely on the Jabril Cox bandwagon. I was hoping that was going to be the pick, but the more I – dove into Barnes. I watched him a lot in the big 10 as well, playing for Purdue. And it's, I think the pick makes sense. It goes along the lines of everything else they did. He is an elite tackler, right? When you look at his numbers, he had 22 missed tackles throughout his career at Purdue at with over 255 attempts, which puts him at a 92% tackle rate, which is top 25% in the NFL. I know they're two different games, but they're going elite tacklers and he does struggle in pass coverage. Bob nailed it there. It's It's not going to be his specialty. I don't know that you can coach him up to, sure, he can get slightly better at it, but he's never going to be a a true solid pass coverage linebacker. But the versatility that he gives you to be able to line up on the line as an edge rusher or to drop back into an outside linebacker position, I really like. Um, Would have liked this pick more if they would have sat back and taken him in the fifth round, but they obviously knew something, right? It's I'm I trust Holmes. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt for what he's done throughout his career and the rest of the draft. So it's, again, it's Derek Barnes, a solid player. I think he was a fifth round grade, but completely good with him here.
1: Yeah. I think you guys are hitting it too with the versatility. I don't see him playing on the edge though in the NFL. He's just too small, you know, at 240 pounds, he's going to get pushed around by those tackles possibly. Now, you can see him maybe off the ball on the edge as a blitzing specialist or something along those lines. And I can see that being done. The other thing about this versatility that he has, obviously, he played defensive end in college. You know, he's not afraid to get dirty. He's not afraid to use his hands. He's not afraid to to shed blocks or he knows how to shed blocks. He has those moves in his repertoire. And as a linebacker, that can be very valuable to him, especially when you're blitzing off the edge or blitzing up the middle. So it will be interesting to see how they use him in certain packages.
3: Yeah, and I think Ronnie hit the nail right on the head. Um, you got to remember, he only played linebacker for one year. So he's still developing there. But as an edge defender, you know, who says we can't bring him on a blitz off the end every so often? But I think overall, I mean, if we develop him the right way, he'll be there to stop the run and he'll do what we need and fill a position to need right now.
0: You got to like when you're reading things about him that that are using words like missile. You know, this this is another Dan Campbell pick. This is another culture changing pick in my opinion.
1: So do you guys think that Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell, they they asked Chris Spielman what they thought about Derek Barnes? They say, hey,
0: what do you think of this guy? Would you draft this guy? I like that you could see him in the room. He was in the war room. I don't know if he was in there for every pick, but I like that you could see him in the room. And if he's in the room, they're taking his input. They're not going to waste uh, space in that room with somebody that isn't going to contribute. And yeah, Ronnie, you're right. You make these comparisons to Tullick. Bob makes the comparison to Spielman. I think he had his hands in this pick.
2: Yeah, that, that's a great point that I hadn't really thought of. It's You've got the best linebacker in Lions history in the room with you and you're making that pick, chances are Spielman piped up and said, Hey, this kid's legit. So if if we've got buy-in from Holmes, Campbell and Spielman on this guy, then let's give him a shot and see what he can do.
0: Let's move on to uh, round seven, our final pick. This is a pick that we acquired in that trade up with Cleveland. I want to throw this one straight to John, because I honestly don't know much about this guy.
2: Yeah. I mean, a little confusing, right? Jamar Jefferson out of Oregon state. He got a couple of low grades, a couple of mid-round, not mid-round grades, but fourth, fifth-round grades. The big concern with him that I've seen across the board is that he doesn't hit the holes very fast, right? He makes a lot of rounding cuts. Um, He's not extremely explosive, but he's very versatile as far as making guys miss. He's a good pass catcher out of the backfield. And with what we did in the offseason, I mean, not to mention, I love DeAndre Swift, I think he is a, a legit number one NFL running back. I think Williams was a great add to be a supplement to Swift. So if you're talking about maybe utilizing Jefferson, he's gotten good blocking grades. So maybe as a third down pass catching running back out of the backfield in very rare situations. Again, I mean, Hitch, we talked about it beforehand. He may not even make the squad. When you're talking seventh round picks and it's a depth chart move to where he's your fourth or fifth running back on your squad right now, this is one I don't want to waste a ton of time on. It. He, he grades out pretty well. He was explosive in high school. He played, he was starting at Oregon State for three years. He's young. He's only 20. Um, he'll be 21 this month. So it's I think there's potential there, but nothing to be overexcited about. And in the seventh round, I'm not going to bash the pick either.
1: Again, it's probably my least favorite pick of the draft here. I'm not a big fan of taking skill positions in the seventh round because it's so rare when those skill positional players work out. I see it as why not take another offensive lineman? Why not take another defensive lineman, linebacker, safety, something other than a running back for that matter, especially like John said, that's probably going to be your fourth running back on the roster. The kid, you know, he played really well at Oregon State though. He's got good size. I believe he's six foot, 215, maybe 220. If he wants to bulk up a little bit, it seems like he's sort of a power runner. He likes contact, which we don't really have that on the roster right now. I know Jamal Williams is a little bit of a – he's got a little bit of a power run game to himself, but he catches a lot of balls out of the backfield, and I don't know if he's going to be that power run back that we think he may be. But Jefferson, who knows? Let's see what he can do. Again, might not make the roster. Maybe he can make special teams. We'll see what happens. I'm not the biggest Pac-12 guy. I think I made a comment on one of the boards. There was too many Pac-12 players drafted in this this draft, but, hey, let's give Brad Holmes the – Let's give him a chance here. He obviously knows something being on the West Coast for so long. So he watched a lot of Pac-12 football. But of note, this kid, though, he was on the all-freshman Pac-12 team. And he was on the first team Pac-12 team this past year. So the kid can obviously play
3: football. Yeah, honestly, in my opinion, I don't even see this guy making the roster. I think at this point of the weekend, everybody was already boozing heavy. They let Rory make the pick. They said, Rory, take whoever you want. Unless they saw something, I don't know if this kid played special teams in college. If he maybe, maybe he's a returner, I'm not quite sure about that. But I think at this, they said, you know, we only got three running backs rostered. Let's take a shot at this kid. He was a starter. He did play some downs. I mean, you never know what can happen. But in my opinion, I think when when the offseason's over, he'll be looking for another team or he'll be a practice squad squad player.
0: Yeah, Bob, you took the words out of my mouth. You have to have a good practice squad, too. And I I don't see this guy just disappearing. I don't see him getting caught. Uh, I see him hopefully making a push for the roster. Uh, I don't know. Nobody knows, but we'll, we'll see. You have to have a good practice squad. I don't think that this was a wasted pick, even though I didn't know much about him.
2: I want to ask you guys a question. What are your thoughts about, let's say this kid does have a really good camp, right? And he could be a number three running back on the roster I mean, you can free up some cap space with carry on Johnson. All right. It's, I mean, he hasn't been overly impressive in his first few years here in Detroit. I think that was made obvious last year when you, go and get DeAndre Swift and you're making plays and you're going and you're signing Jamal Williams. So I could see him, if he does impress, if they did see something, Ronnie mentioned that he had over a thousand yards as as an 18 year old freshman at Oregon state. And the NFL has really been, he's probably been on their radar ever since and behind lackluster O-lines with an Oregon state team that has struggled in the pac 12. So I could see this being a, a third running back for us moving forward. If he does have a good camp.
0: Well, that's it. That's all. All the picks, I think this was a good rundown. I hope that people will enjoy listening to this. Before we sign off, I think we need to run down the undrafted free agents. I don't think that these signings are official. They got to go by the league calendar, but I think it's pretty safe to say that we know who the undrafted free agents are. I'm going to read this list real quick, and then if you guys want to chime in with, um, I think there's obviously one player that we need to address, but if you guys want to say anything about any of these other players, feel free. Lloyd, a running back from Arkansas, Mills, a running back from Nebraska, Adams Jr, a wide receiver from Arkansas State, McKinley, wide receiver from Notre Dame, Sage Girat, Wake Forest, wide receiver, tight end Brock Wright from Notre Dame, tight end Hausman from Ohio State, guard Kramer from Notre Dame, Drake Jackson, a center from Kentucky, Beckett, a linebacker from Marshall, Amos, a DB from Virginia, another DB from Arkansas, Jacobs, a corner from Kansas State named A.J. Parker. I think immediately what jumps off of that list is Sage DeRot. We had a lot of talk in in our post-production meetings about this guy's draft grade a couple weeks ago, this guy's draft grade a couple months ago. He's big. I think he's 6'2", 6'3". In that Kenny, Kenny Galladay mold, uh, this is a guy that when I started this prep, this draft prep months ago, I was seeing second and third round grades on this guy. I was seeing pro comparisons to Galladay. This is a guy that I honestly was surprised somebody didn't see enough value to at least take him in the sixth or seventh round. And I think that he can make a big push for this roster. I think when you talk about skill set, when you talk about potential production at a pro level, I think that this guy is going to rival the uh, St. Brown pick. I think that he's going to push for the roster. I think he's going to have a very similar season if he can get on the field. What do you guys think? It's. I agree,
2: Hitch. He's the name that stands out, right? And I do think he will make the roster uh, heading into the upcoming season here. It's surprising he didn't get drafted. He was, I think he fell to about a fourth round grade, but he also sat out last year, which hurt him. Um, He was a a really high grade coming out of 2019. He actually led the nation in uh, contested catch situations at over 60% in 2019 at wake forest. Um, Slow again, that's, that's the one knock, right? He his 40 time in his pro day was almost four, seven. I think it was a four, six, nine, but he has a bigger body that runs really good routes. He played on the outside. He did play in the slot. He's got good hands, so I can I definitely see this kid as an NFL rostered player. Maybe he's your Quintez Cephas this year for the Lions, playing in situational four wide-out sets and things like that. But I think he's got the the highest potential of any of the undrafted free agents across the board. I'm not trying to bash your guy, Patty Fisher, Ronnie, but it's of all the guys that didn't get drafted. He was the most surprising name to me. I think if you watch the draft on Saturday, he was consistently on that list of Kuyper and everyone's top players available. He was always up there. Even when they took St. Brown, it was when they were going through the wide receivers, he was on that top five list of available guys and he fell all the way to undrafted. So I'm happy with it and uh, high upside with this kid is for very minimal risk.
3: I think John, you know, nailed everything. I like him too, but I do have a question. I don't know if you guys saw this article today um, about Javon McKinley from Notre Dame. I, I don't know if I've ever seen this. Um, the Lions gave him guaranteed money today $100,000 contract, guaranteed. So does that mean that he's going to make the team automatically? Or how do you guys feel about that it's not something i've ever heard of a team doing
2: no uh, the the guaranteed money bob i believe is just, he's just guaranteed that whether he makes the team or not so it's not like a baseball situation where he's locked into a roster spot they're basically just paying this kid 100 grand for sure and if they cut him they're still paying him 100 grand so i don't think it locks him in but definitely
3: interesting i hadn't seen that yet is that something that teams normally do that's the thing because the article I was reading was saying, well, with the Lions doing this, they're basically guaranteeing him a spot in, a, in the room or on the practice squad at least, thinking that he may have the potential to make the team. Yeah, it's, I've rarely heard that from – I don't think I've ever heard it from undrafted free agents or guys in that situation. Well, they had to convince him to join the roster. I mean, when I look at his numbers, though, they're not, they're not too impressive, although he's been injured most of his career. I think he's had an entire season out with injury. He didn't really come on until his senior year. And even his senior year, that much good stats. Everything that he did was in high school.
0: Yeah, as you are talking, Bob, I pulled up the Twitter feed of this pick. or I'm sorry, not of this pick, but of the signing. And, and it definitely is guaranteed. They guaranteed 85000 of his base salary and gave him a $15,000 signing bonus. And rolling through this Twitter feed here, people that I assume – know more about college football than me. They're saying playmaker locked to the roster. Can't wait to see what this guy can do. Uh, so that's encouraging. I honestly didn't know any of this until we uh, started talking about it. Does anybody have anything to add? I think that this was good. I think that as a whole, these three episodes have been pretty good. They've been well-received. Uh, but does anybody have anything to add before we sign
1: off? Yeah, I just want to say, you know, we keep talking about the coaching staff and how we're excited to see what this coaching staff can do with some of these with these draft picks that we just talked about. I think it's also important to know what can this coaching staff do with some of these other young guys that have been drafted a year or two or three years ago with the disappointing regime that we had? What can Aaron Glenn do to Jeff Okuda? What can Aaron Glenn and the defensive staff do for Jelani Tavai? You know the guy's only a two-year player. He's got decent size. I'm I'm not totally ready to write him off yet, especially at a second-round draft pick. But let's just see what can happen. Yeah, I think there's a chance after drafting Derek Barnes, Tavai might not make the team. But it will be interesting to see what these coach, what this coaching staff can do with some of these these other young players that we have.
3: I think we got to um, remember also we got to be patient still. I know it's something Lions fans don't want to hear. But I think looking at this draft, it's, I think it's everything we wanted and needed, but we got to remember this isn't going to be fixed this year. This is the start of something that's going to be fixed maybe two, three years down the road. We're building, you know, our core right now. Next year, we may go after a quarterback. We may get a couple big name players that we need, but this is still going to take a couple of years, but I like what I'm seeing now, but we just got to remember, we got to be patient.
2: No, it's, I agree with everything, right? And patience is a virtue and it's. I never want to root to lose, but I'm going to be rooting for the Rams to lose quite a bit this year. I wouldn't mind a, a three and 14 lion season to see some growth individually from some of these young guys. And and give it, give us a couple of solid first round picks next year. If we can get a top five and and another one inside the top 20 somehow. The sky is the limit. And I really, I've got a lot of faith and I drink the Kool-Aid every single year, but this year more than most. And uh, I'm really hopeful. I like what they did. I see a, it's the first time in probably 20 years of really following the NFL draft close that I can see a pattern and see a vision out of every single pick they made. So I'm really encouraged and I'm excited to see what these kids can do.
0: Uh, We're getting close to wrapping it up here. I was taking some notes as we were talking today and I, I pulled out some keywords that just kept coming up over and over and over again. And I think that this can speak to the rebuild. It can speak to what we're doing. Football family, beast, mean, coachable developmental and potential just kept coming over, coming up over and over and over and over. And I think that that, that speaks volumes to break that all down that, you know, what do you want? What do you, what more could you ask for than coachable violent, you know, good developmental picks in the middle of, or I shouldn't say the middle the start of a rebuild. I do want to say, I agree with what John said earlier, draft grades at this point are kind of useless. I don't like, I don't like saying, you know what, I'm going to give this, this draft an A, I'm going to give this draft a C. It's all conjecture. It's all up in the air until we see these guys play football. But what I will say is that we see a direction. We see that they have a plan They went in knowing what they want to do, and they were able to do it. And I think the big reason that Brad Holmes is in the position that he's in now with the Detroit Lions is those picks that he hit on in the late rounds. So when there's a little confusion in Detroit about why did we take Barnes instead of Cox, uh, why did we go back-to-back D-tackle, who is the seventh-round running back, let's have faith in Holmes until he gives us a reason not to. And I think that this draft gave me a lot of faith. I don't wanna say that I'm ready to just slam pitchers of Kool-Aid, but after what we just went through for the last three years, hell, the last 20 years, this is the first time that I left a draft, did a little bit of research and felt pretty damn good about everything. So with that, I think we'll call this an episode. I wanna remind people to jump over onto the Detroit Lions fan forum. Uh, we've grown tremendously, relatively. I think I mentioned in episode one, at that point in time, the fan forum had 80 members. Uh, Before recording started today, we were up to 223. I apologize to my friends and family that I keep sending that invite to over and over and over again. But everybody, please use that board, use that spot. That's a great place to be able to hear this podcast. That's a great place to keep ourselves organized throughout the season. And I really would appreciate everybody getting on there, sharing it, using those message boards, reading the articles that we post. Hopefully pretty soon we'll start with some original content on there. And please, please, please give us feedback. Let us know what we're doing wrong. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you don't like. That's the only way we're going to get better. With that, I'm going to say signing off. See you next week. Thanks for listening.